Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Morning, everybody. Asia Pacific markets are trading mixed this morning on the back of a similar performance on Wall Street overnight. Tokyo is in positive territory as investors await an interest rate decision from the Bank of Japan. Joining me now as we break down all the market action. How are you doing, Ryan Huang? You're doing great, Michelle. How about you? Good, good. Glad that you're back and sounding better than ever in the office, Ryan. Now, we begin this morning in the foreign exchange market where the Singapore dollar is attracting attention. Some of the world's biggest global banks are reportedly shorting the Sing dollar, betting that it will lose value against the currencies of its major trading partners, including Malaysia and China. Now, among the financial institutions that expect the Sing dollar to weaken are Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, and OCBC. So help us understand their arguments, Ryan. Can you walk us through them? Okay, so here you have the same dollar in focus, which pretty much was one of the winners last year where it was a destination for many investors and traders looking for a safe haven destination for their investments because of all the uncertainty that played out last year. We had the Ukraine war and, of course, geopolitics around the world and the talk about recession, all that just sending everyone or a lot of people to the Sing dollar, helping to support it last year. In fact, it was one of the few Asian currencies that ended positive on the year against the US dollar, up around 0.6% against the greenback. So that's the backdrop. So going into this year, there's starting to be question marks whether it can continue its performance. And if you look at some of the analysts, including Goldman Sachs, they are thinking it's time to change direction. So it's betting that the Sing dollar will weaken against some of the other currencies. And this is important. When you trade a currency, you have to peg it against another currency to create a pair. So you have to peg it to the right cross. So it's pegging it against the Malaysian ringgit. And mm-hmm. this is partly because it expects the Sing dollar to be, to some extent, be overbought. So after such a strong year, According to technicals, like the slow stochastics, they expect a bit of a pullback. And also, it expects uh, its regional peers to strengthen against the greenback. So on that basis, relative terms, it is not going to do as well as other currencies, uh, partly because it already did so well. Another cross is looking at is against the Chinese yuan, which is, of course, the talk these days about how the China reopening story will put the Chinese economy on good footing for a strong rebound this year. In fact, we have Liu He at Davos, the Vice Premier, talking about how China's Mm -hmm. economy is set for a return to pre-pandemic growth rates this year. So he is very optimistic on a rebound this year, which will be good news for the Chinese Yuan. And of course, if you put it against the Sing dollar, it could be a winner for Goldman Sachs. I just want to pick up on a point you mentioned. And now OCBC thinks that the Aussie dollar, the Thai baht and the Japanese yen all stand to gain ground against the Singapore dollar this year. And if we take a look at some of the pairings, the Sing dollar is currently trading at around 3.28 ringgit and it's at 1.32 versus the US dollar. So what do you make of it? Do you agree it's time to switch into other currencies? I would expect the Sing dollar to still show some resiliency to some extent because we still have quite a bit to go when it comes to sorting out the world's problems. So on a safe haven, 
argument, it does still look attractive, right? When you look at how we are still bracing for a recession, we still see in the headlines layoffs happening. And to some extent, if China does well, regional economies will also do well. So Singapore will benefit on that basis. So I would not be too surprised if Singapore still continues to at least uh, hang on to where it is right now. Now, last week on the show, I spoke with SPI Asset Management Stephen Innes about currency markets, and he noted that the euro and the Japanese yen have both been gaining ground against the US dollar and are likely to continue appreciating in the months ahead. We turn now to corporate earnings and a focus on global banks this morning. Goldman Sachs has posted its worst earnings miss in a decade. Earnings came in at $3.32 per share. That's more than $2 US dollars per share below analyst expectations. Quarterly profits at the bank were down 66% as compared with a year earlier. So what's behind Goldman Sachs' poor performance, Ryan? Yeah, you touched on a very good point its worst earnings miss in a decade. And if you look at some of the descriptors around Goldman Sachs' latest fourth quarter earnings, we have words like miserable. And also from the CEO itself, he's calling it an outlier. So he is just, you know, just giving a glimpse of how bad that fourth quarter was. And we saw quality profit plunging 66% from a year earlier to $1.33 billion. Uh, that is about 39% below consensus forecast. So a big miss. Uh, and this is partly because of a few things. One is how it's been telling its story. Uh, it's been trying to get into the consumer space, but not very successfully. Uh, you might be familiar with how Goldman Sachs has been trying to push for an Apple card, among other things. Its efforts overall have not been convincing investors enough and I think that's one reason why we are seeing investors overnight building on Goldman Sachs shares which are down nearly 6%. Shares of Goldman Sachs led the Dow Jones Industrial Average lower overnight in fact with that move down by 6%. Morgan Stanley, meanwhile, is faring better these days than its rival Goldman Sachs. Yep, Morgan Stanley's profits are down as compared with a year ago, thanks to a decline in deal-making. But the company is posting record revenues in its wealth management business. Tell us more. Yeah, for Goldman, there was also the factor about how expenses were more than expected. It looks like Morgan Stanley did well to communicate with investors what it's been trying to do, both on the expense front as well as the story about rebuilding what it already has, just making it stronger. It's Wealth Management Division, which has been a beneficiary of rising rates. That's boosted net interest income. And it's been the case for many years. And this quarter was another strong quarter for Morgan Stanley on that front. And looking at what its CEO James Gorman is telling investors, investment banking and deals activity will pick up once the Federal Reserve pauses rate hikes. And he's betting that it's going to happen this year. So that's the story here for Morgan Stanley, a bit more optimistic about where things are going. Uh, overall, it's been quite a mixed bag for banks. Uh, so you really have to look at the fundamentals for each individual stock these days to figure out how to get exposure to the sectors you like. Indeed. In fact, we're going to take a look at uh, two more big banks today as we head into up or down. Ryan, are you ready? Let's go. 
Let's start with Credit Suisse, right? Up or down? All right, Credit Suisse has usually been in the headlines for the wrong reasons and it is not mm. changing. So Credit Suisse is a down for me because its chairman, Axel Lehman, is warning employees to brace themselves for bonus cuts. Not oh. a great year for Credit Suisse mm-hmm. as we expected. In fact, it's calling it a horrifying year. Yeah, it's bound to hurt morale, those lower bonuses. So definitely a down for Credit Suisse. Next up, another Swiss bank giant, UBS. It's also a tale of two banks. So Mm. UBS on the other end of the scale, it's bucking the trend when it comes to hiring plans. It says it does not have any plans to fire bankers as we've seen in some of the other banks. In fact, it is hiring for what it calls critical jobs and is not in retrenchment mode. So it's seeing some momentum in some parts of the world, including the Asia-Pacific region and the Middle East. So if you're a banker, you know where to send your resumes to. Yeah, financial institutions like Goldman Sachs and BNY Mellon have been making headlines recently as they are retrenching thousands of workers. But UBS is taking a different approach. It says there is no need for it to lay off staff as its focus on making investments for wealthy clients seems to be flourishing. So an up for UBS in my book as well. Next up this morning, I want to turn our attention to Alibaba and activist investor Ryan Cohen, who is perhaps best known for backing that meme stock, GameStop. Now, Cohen has built up a stake in the Chinese tech giant worth hundreds of millions of US dollars. And in fact, we're going to be diving a little deeper into this issue in the 10 o'clock hour. You see, now he's reportedly pushing Alibaba to ramp up its share buybacks. Ryan, what is behind Ryan Cohen's move? Yeah, if you're not familiar with Ryan Cohen, he is a Canadian entrepreneur and activist investor. So he is also known for founding the e-commerce company uh, Chewy, which I believe uh, specializes in pet food. So this is um, seeing him recently in recent years investing in various companies, most notably GameStop, muscling his way in after buying a few um, shares or he's increasing his stake there and then making policy decisions company decisions because of his enlarged stake to, in a way, change the direction of the company, revive its fortunes. And here you have him taking on more shares in Alibaba. So it is just raising the prospects of him potentially trying to do something new. And in this case, it looks like he is pushing for a ramp up in share buybacks for Alibaba to buy back more shares and which will, in some fashion, raise its share price. So that is the expectation of what um, Ryan Cohen is trying to push for with his um, investment in Alibaba. Yeah, some pundits are predicting that Cohen's move will turn Alibaba into the next GameStop, causing a steep run-up in its share price. So what do you think of that argument? Is Ooh. Cohen maybe looking for a quick buck, trying to get Alibaba to buy more of its own shares? And it's, it is, is it possible he could run afoul of Chinese policymakers, I'm wondering? Yeah, it's not going to be as easy as what he uh, did with GameStop because with Chinese stocks in general and of course with Alibaba, it becomes a lot about politics. And this is where we have the wider backdrop around China, uh, the theme of common prosperity. Uh, And this is where it is not 
going to be conducive for Ryan Cohen to push for Alibaba to be profitable in the way he hopes it because uh, you might remember the tech crackdowns of how Alibaba was hit by many um, various restrictions and its share price was just a victim of that. And then you have the wider backdrop of how Alibaba's business has also been going through a slump like many other tech companies. So in order for them to do share buybacks, they need to be in a very strong financial position. So right now, it's not where it needs to be to do what I think Ryan Cohen is trying to get them to do. Uh, so it mm. is going to be a tough challenge for Ryan Cohen to execute what he is hoping for. Some analysts are already calling it futile. And you also have the structural headwinds because uh, when you want to make changes, you need to have a stake that will give you the voice on the board. And I'm not sure if Ryan Cohen can get a seat at the board with what he has right now. Plus, if you look at what the government has, it has bought into what's called golden shares in Alibaba recently, which gives them the final say in important company decisions. So in the face of all that, it is going to be very tough for him to really push for any changes. But I will not rule it out that Ryan Cohen could get people excited enough to jump on the bandwagon and maybe he could make a quick buck. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how activism runs up against a Chinese tech firm. Time now for corporate news and we're going to do it up or down style. Let's start with United Airlines, Ryan. All right, United is an up for me. So no surprises. We've seen how airlines have benefited quite a bit from the reopening of borders and United yeah. Airlines seeing at least a four-fold jump in full-year profit and Ooh. maybe even more to come as it reports quite an optimistic outlook. Indeed, travellers taking to the skies again, no doubt about that. I can't wait to plan my next trip, I'll tell you that. Where's the, the next trip, of, The next trip is to the States, Ryan. Alright, so I will be um, helping you plan that trip because I just came back from the LA. Oh my goodness, look at us, transatlantic travellers. Anyway, the resurgence of air traffic has really helped United Airlines' fourth quarter profits come in above expectations. The U.S. air carrier netted more than $840 million U.S. million in the last three months of the year and it expects profits to quadruple in the year ahead. So that is definitely an up for United Airlines in my book. All right, let me turn to the page where I have the maker of gardenia bread QAF, Ryan, up or down? Yeah, it's going to be an up for me. So typically, I look out for profit warnings. But in this case, it's profit hmm. guidance. So it's expecting better than expected results for its second half of 2022 to exceed the results in its first half. So it's going to be up for me, but it does have a bit of caution. It has been quite challenging to comment on the trend in the current volatile environment. So still, yeah. I would say cautiously optimistic for QAF. Mm-mm. QAF shares have been rallying of late. They are up 7.5% over the past three months. So the maker of Gardenia Breads is predicting that the second half of the financial year will be better than the first half. So that's an up. We'll know for sure whether QAF's forecasts are correct when the company reports its earnings. And that happens in August. Okay, let's look at Lim Beng Kim, the former CFO of the Palm Oil and Coal Mining Company, AgriTrade. Yeah, it's going to be a down for me and it's a story about how crime does not pay. So, Lulu Lim, the former CFO of commodity firm AgriTrade, 
sentenced to 20 years jail. She pleaded guilty to 12 charges, including cheating and falsification of accounts. She duped 16 banks and financial institutions, both in Singapore and overseas, to grant it more than $700 million in loans to agri-trade. So, that is quite massive. Former CFO of the Palm Oil and Coal Mining Company, former high flyer, sentenced to 20 years jail for defrauding over a dozen banks. She caused nearly half a billion US dollars in losses. And one of the biggest casualties of uh, Lim's actions was Hin Leong Trading, which crashed in spectacular fashion about two years ago. You might remember that one. Uh, Lim's conviction may not be the last that we hear of Agri-Trade, though, because the company's CEO is still under investigation. Does this remind you of that giant Ponzi scheme everybody's watching on Netflix. Have you watched the Bernie Madoff documentary? <laughs> it's on my to-watch list. I should get to it. <laughs> it's really good. Really good. Really shocking how, you know, uh, crimes can go under the noses of uh, authorities for so long in what we think is a really regulated space. All right, let's turn now to the Elon Musk files. And for this, we're going to go back in time. In fact, four and a half years, back to August 2018. That is when Elon Musk first tweeted that he might privatize Tesla. Remember that? Well, those tweets are now the basis for a trial because Musk is accused of fraud. Ryan, this is a criminal trial. It's not a civil lawsuit. So what are the key issues here that jurors are going to have to assess? Yeah, so you might have some trouble remembering what happened here. So he essentially tweeted that he had somebody in line to take Tesla private. Uh, this was back in 2018 when Tesla was not in as good a footing as it is right now. So really struggling to get by in some on some fronts. And he tweeted that he, or at least alluded that he had somebody in line to take it private at $420. That's a mm. bit of a reference to his uh, favorite hobby. So it is a long time ago because since then, Tesla's stock price has gone up. In fact, he had to split it three times and then five times just to bring it to where it is right now at around $131. So Tesla's stock price has gone far above that 420 since then. So anyways, back to the saga. So he is going to be under scrutiny to see if there is enough evidence to suggest that he actually didn't have anyone there to mm. take it private. So that is pretty much the crux of it, whether he was falsifying expectations and misleading investors. Great recap, Ryan. Now, observers say we should expect a host of high-profile witnesses at this trial, including Larry Ellison of Oracle and James Murdoch. Ellison is a former board member of Tesla. Murdoch currently serves on Tesla's board. So, Ryan, tell me, what are you going to be looking out for in this trial? <laughs> One word, drama. When it comes to Elon <laughs> Musk, I'm sure he's got a few surprises in his bag. You know, surprise witnesses and surprise foulings. You know, I'm actually not sure to expect there's so many things that could just play out. <laughs> Surprise U-turns, who knows? Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at local stocks to watch in the year ahead based on a great list our friends at Business Times has put together. And yesterday, we discussed the semiconductor testing company AEM. And today, well, it's pat on the back time. AEM shares rose nearly 2% yesterday on a day when the overall market was flat. The gains followed the launch of a new AEM factory over in Penang. A Citigroup analyst visited the new facility and walked away convinced that AEM has good medium-term potential. 
even if its earnings may drop in the coming financial year. So investors focus on the good part of that news to bid up AEM shares. So if you'd like to hear more of our discussions on this and more of our Stock to Watch discussions, download our podcast. You can find them on Spotify and Audio. Playlist is Your Money with me, Michelle Martin. Great one there. Thank you very much. Have a good Wednesday, Ryan. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.